Life sometimes can make you feel powerless, lonely and anxious. But like the dawning of a new day, we have this promise that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Welcome. We are so glad to be here together in this house, and also for those of you who are watching from your home as well online, we just want to welcome you here to Victory Church. I'm so excited whenever I get the chance to preach here because Victory, as Pastor Ed said, is my home. I do take um, deference to one thing he said. I'm not an expert. I am not a licensed therapist. I'm not a clinical counselor. I'm a pastor with a heart for emotional wellness and health. And so I do the pastoral counseling end of things. But I will say, how blessed are we to be in a church that talks about this? I travel to a lot of churches and speak in different places, and there are churches that just act like all it is is our spirit and our heart, and there's nothing about who we are inside, our emotions, our thoughts, and our mental health issues. And so I'm grateful. Before the series even started, Pastor Ed called a group together, which I really had a lot of respect for him doing this. It was psychologists and counselors, medical professionals, medical professionals, and those of us who are in the pastoral counseling end of things. And we looked at what were the big, heavy topics that we needed to talk about. And so Pastor Ed has done a fantastic job in the previous few weeks talking about some really challenging and very uncomfortable things to talk about, sometimes for pastors, to talk about depression and anxiety. And when we realized that I would be doing the last service, it was funny, we had said each message each week should end with a note of hope and then the series itself was going to end with this, a night focused on hope. And Pastor Ed turned to me and said, wow, that's really great. I get to be depressed and anxious and you get hope. And <laughs> I don't know if he thought that that was fair. But in truth, I've actually found talking about hope to be a little bit challenging. Because it's one of those words that we use a lot, but do we know what it means? Our society has some ideas. So in poetry... Um, the, one of the beautiful poets, Emily Dickinson, said this, and maybe it'll help us. Hope is the thing with feathers. Does that help you? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure what to do with that. If any of you old-timers like me know Bing Crosby, he sang a song about a little ant that wanted to carry a rubber tree plant, and, and everyone knows an ant can't do that, and so what was the chorus of that song? He's got high hopes. He's got high hopes, he's got high in the, in the sky, apple pie hopes. Again, what does that mean? That does not help us. And so I, a few years ago, maybe some of you do this too, I started asking the Lord for a word for that year. It's about maybe 15 years ago. And I really felt clearly that I got a word. And one of my friends said, I was praying for you and I got a word and it was the same word. So I was so excited. And that word was Celebrate. If you're going to have a word for the year, that's the word that you want to have. Every day that year, I woke up like I was going to a party. I felt like the surprise of Jesus was going to be around every corner, and it was an incredible year. And so as December came and we were heading into the next new year, I said, Lord, I'd love another word. Lord, give me another good word. And I felt the word hope. 
And I thought, hope, awesome. Who doesn't love hope, right? High hopes, good things. And I realized pretty quickly that hope is what you need when you are squeezed. Hope is what you need when you are challenged. I was like, Lord, can we go back a little bit to that year of celebration? Because that was awesome. But in that year of hope, I found that there was a hope deeper than just wishes, like on your birthday, when you want a pony, right? Or wishes that it doesn't rain on the day that you're having a picnic. But there was a deeper type of a hope that God was calling me to. It's the hope that trusted that he was my anchor during some of the hardest times of my life. And some of you may be in that situation right now. I think all of us probably are, where we may need just a little touch of, of our hope right now. And so this is not a wimpy hope that God calls us to. This is not a weak or sweet or cute kind of a hope. This is the kind of hope that is like water that can flow and carve through the hardest of rocks. This is a hope that will stand when oceans are just pummeling us and he holds us fast. True hope from God is a spiritual force to be reckoned with. So we're going to start our time together tonight by looking into a situation in the book of Isaiah where the prophet needed to have a little bit of hope. Now I'll preface this, you're not going to see the word hope in there, but trust me, it's in there. The message of hope is there for us. So I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 6, starting with verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, Isaiah cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Lord, thank you for this word that is powerful, that reminds us of who you are. May we never forget the holiness, and the power that is you, Lord, in Jesus' name. So some of us may be familiar with this passage, right? We hear holy, 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 Lord God Almighty in some of our best hymns. We may even have heard Isaiah say, here I am, send me, and we use that when we talk about missions. Who's going to go for the Lord? Who can he send? And we say, I'll do it, I'll go, Lord. But we may gloss past a little piece of this that I think tonight God wants us to zero in on. And that's the first line of this passage. In the year that King Uzziah died. Now, I don't know about you, but if you look on the calendar on your phone, you probably don't have it marked down. This is the anniversary of Uzziah's death. (laughs) Hallmark has not monopolized that and monetized that yet. You can't go and get the the King Uzziah memorial card to give to somebody. 
But for those of us who were not born in his reign during that time in Israel's history, here's who Uzziah was. Who was this king? He became a king at 16 years old. He was a very young man to lead the entire nation of God's people. And from what we understand, he had a great reign. He had a wonderful career, and he reigned uh, for about 52 years. So in that time, this is a, a huge chunk of time where he was Israel's king. We're told that he was, in the words of Scripture, a good king that God prospered everything he did because he feared the Lord and he made the Lord famous. He took Israel to new military heights. So whether it was the Philistines or some of their other enemies, uh, he was able to come in as a general and run that army in a way that their enemies were scattered. He was also a builder and a planner. Their kingdom became financially sound and much more stable than it had been under his rule. So if we look at King Uzziah, Spiritually, financially, relationally, socially, politically, he was a strong and good king. But we're also told in, in the Chronicles that there was a time when he was disobedient to God towards the end of his life. He went into the temple and he went into the holy place where he wasn't supposed to go and he offered incense that he wasn't supposed to offer. And because of that disobedience, he was struck with leprosy and lived the end of his life in isolation until the time that he died. To say that King Uzziah died in that passage, that's to say a lot, isn't it? It's just this little phrase, and we can look past it. But my Old Testament professor in seminary, I remember her teaching on this section once, and she said, you can take that phrase, in the year King Uzziah died, and replace it with this sentence in the year that it all fell apart. In the year that it all fell apart. Some of us may be having a season, a week, a year, years where we feel like it's all fallen apart. That you may have found yourself in the darkness of depression or loving someone who's going through the darkness of depression and you've watched personalities change and you've watched hopes and dreams that you had not be fulfilled. And like Isaiah, we might wonder, where is God in all of this? And here's our encouragement in the rest of that verse. In the year that King Uzziah died, or in the year that it all fell apart, dot, 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 I saw the Lord. Can you imagine being able to say that in a dark season? In the year when my life fell apart, I saw him. I saw the Lord when it got really rough. And when I didn't know who I was anymore, and when the darkness seemed to overwhelm me, when you could probably take any of the psalms where David sounds clinically depressed and say along with the psalmist, why have you hidden yourself in dark clouds? In the year that it all fell apart, Isaiah was able to see the Lord. The passage goes on to say he didn't just see the Lord, he saw the Lord seated on a throne. Where was the Lord when it all fell apart? He was still on the throne. He hadn't budged. God was still enthroned in heaven. He was still in charge over all creation. And we can have hope because there is a throne and God is on it. God didn't take a bathroom break when you were in the middle of your trouble and say, hang on, I'm going to get up for a minute. He didn't run to refill his, his coffee cup. 
He didn't say, I need to go take a little snooze while you're in the middle of your struggle in the year when it all fell apart for you. No, he is seated as the sovereign king over the universe in the midst, in the moment that you are in your darkest season. And also notice that God is not seated on a chair in heaven. Because we can all sit in a chair. He's seated on a throne. That's the place for sovereign kings. That's the place for good and wise judges. And God is seated on a throne. That is where the person sits who has all power and all authority. And God is seated on a throne. Isaiah had hope when his life and his world and his nation's world were falling apart because God was there. He could see him and he was seated on a throne. I think our world doesn't recognize the reality of the throne in heaven. The throne that right now at this moment God is sitting upon and ruling from. And if you think about it, the core belief of humanism, I'm sorry, of, a, of a atheism is there is no throne. There's nobody in charge. There is no leader. There is no one. It's every man or woman for himself. The throne of humanism, we're on it. Man sits on it and gets to make our judgments. And man gets to decide what is good or right or what feels right to us. But the Bible makes it clear that there is a throne in heaven and man does not sit on the throne, but God Almighty, the one who is high and lifted up, sits on that throne. He is enthroned in heaven. And Isaiah may have been discouraged or depressed because of what he was seeing with his eyes and where he was focused and wonder, is there a a leader still on the throne of Judah? Who is on the throne for Israel? Uzziah is gone, and God in heaven now says to him, don't you worry, Isaiah, Uzziah might not be on the throne anymore, but I still am. I'm on the real throne. He goes on to say that I see the Lord, and he is seated on the throne, high and lifted up. That signifies that he is majestic in our eyes, that he is above all of the things that concern us. Does it ever dawn on us that sometimes the things that consume us are an easy thing in God's eyes? How am I going to pay that that bill that came in? And God's like, do you have any idea who I am? Do you know what I have? Do you know what I can do? And he said, I'm on the throne high and lifted up. Isaiah, in your eyes, things might be falling apart, but in his eyes, he's got perspective that you don't have, and he is working. He goes on to say that the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't, I have a robe, but it doesn't have like a, a train, right? But in this time, if you had a train, if you had any kind of a train, just think of like a modern day wedding and a, a bride in her dress with a long train, She doesn't go out and do yard work in that, does she? (laughs) Having a long train was meant to kind of be almost an intimidating or a signaling for us that this person, they can't really move very easily, but that's okay because they don't need to work. And the bigger the train, the more powerful and the more authority that person had. And it says in this passage that God is so immense that the train of his robe literally filled the temple. Can you imagine if I had a dress on today and it filled the sanctuary? How huge that would have to be. If some of you see my prom pictures from the 80s, it it was half the size of the sanctuary. But in this passage, we're saying that that train of his robe filled the temple. It goes on to tell us in Isaiah that there were seraphim. 
Seraphim literally means these burning ones, these angelic creatures, and they are flying. And it's a little weird. I get it. We're like two hands here, two hands on their feet. And we're like, what is this? Here's what you need to know. They knew who God was, and they worshiped. And they began to sing, and they began to praise, and they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. It's interesting in this passage, they weren't singing this to God. You ever notice that? Like, I feel like that's what we do, right? Like, holy, 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 you are Lord God Almighty. Holy, 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 I trust you, Lord. They were actually singing and telling one another, do you, do you see how awesome he is? Do, look at this, sing with me, let's talk to each other. Look at him. What if we did that a little bit more? What if in the middle of our dark season, someone comes and says to us, look at him, he is so beautiful. And what that could do to change us. What could it do for us to speak that life into someone else's darkness? Say the whole earth is full of his glory when they're saying, no, this is the year when it all fell apart. No, 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 no. It's a different script. They were telling each other, do you see how beautiful he is? Something powerful happens there. And this is important for us to hear. The rest of the passage, we're not going to go line by line through this, but it shows us that Isaiah is falling apart in the presence of God when he suddenly sees how beautiful, how big, and how incredible this encounter is with this holy God. The first thing he says is, woe is me, I am unclean. I can't stand in your presence, Lord. You are so perfect that I'm so imperfect. It's all falling apart, and now he's saying, I'm falling apart. From having his eyes on his circumstances with the death of Uzziah to now having his eyes on a holy God. So God sends the seraphim to touch Isaiah's lip with a coal, as we read, to purify him so that he could stand in God's presence unashamed in the middle of the mess. It's a change. He goes from saying, I am in such a mess I'm depressed, my eyes are on the darkness of my circumstances, and he begins to shift and said, I am a mess, but now I can stand in your presence. I want to I be your servant. I want to go and tell people who you are. In our year, when it all falls apart, for us or for our loved ones, we can see the Lord. In the year when it all falls apart, when darkness seems to hide his face, we can see the Lord. We can find hope in a hopeless place when our eyes are fixed on him. All because of Jesus. Only because of Jesus. So you might feel, I'm broken. I'm in therapy. I'm in med- on, on medication. I'm such a mess. You know what? You can see the Lord seated on the throne, in the midst of it. It doesn't mean you stop the therapy. It doesn't mean you stop the medication. Wherever we find ourselves, whatever Uzziah has died in our life, if that is our joy, if that is our marriage, if that is a relationship we had with our kids, whatever it is that has died in the midst of it, we can see the Lord. He is seated on his throne, and he is in control. That is our hope. We have a tough and sturdy hope. I like that concept of sturdy hope. It can hold up. 
Years ago, I remember a, a pastor that I knew that had gone to Africa, and he was meeting with church leaders, and he said that they had a bishop in town who was, he said, probably pushing 350, 400 pounds. And he would go and do home visits. And he, when he would get to each house, he would have to look and see first if there was a chair where he could sit down because he broke so many chairs in so many homes during his home visits. I almost think that's a picture of God. His glory is so weighty. His holiness and his power are so great that when he walks in this place, he said, where can I even sit down that could hold me? And our hearts say, God, we want you. Come here. Live here. So we've got a tough and a sturdy hope because it's not rooted in how we feel. If it was, God forbid. Because on any given day, I feel like I am the worst of sinners and well, I don't know if I ever feel like the best of saints except through his blood. But every day, up and down, depending on circumstances, we have a sturdy hope that is not connected to how well we're doing at this moment. You ever you talk to friends and you say, how are you doing? Well, today I'm doing okay. I've had a good week. Or I've had a bad week. Last week was good, this week is bad. And it's interesting how we fluctuate. It's not how good our circumstances are right now. We have hope because true hope is, is rooted in the unchanging, all-powerful, good and beautiful God who is full of love for us and full of care and full of compassion for us in the darkest moments when our world has fallen apart. In the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, it gives us two pictures of what hope is. In Hebrews 16, 18, and 19, there are two descriptors I want to highlight for us tonight. The first one is that hope is a refuge. Verse 18 says, hope is a refuge for us. Where can we flee when we are in trouble? Where can we flee when we feel depression or darkness or anxiety crowding in? We have a refuge that we can run to. If you've walked with the Lord for any number of years, you can attest with me, faith does not take away your pain. Being a Christian doesn't automatically take away your depression or the things that you walk through that are painful and hard. What faith does is give us a refuge to run to in the middle of them. The word says the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are saved. We run into your mighty name, Lord Jesus, in the times when our hope is dashed. So it doesn't take away our pain, but it gives us a place to put it. The second thing that that passage in Hebrews tells us is that our hope is an anchor, sure and steadfast. It's called an anchor for our souls. Hope is the anchor for our souls. That means that we are firm and secure. It's the reality of God's presence that we are fixed and anchored in him. When I lived in Virginia Beach during seminary time, I had the opportunity to work with a lot of Navy chaplains and Towards the end of my season there, one of the chaplains said, I'd love to kind of just offer you like a kind of a going away gift in an experience. And I got to tour the USS Enterprise, the huge aircraft carrier. And that was unbelievable. Just, it's like a city, a floating city. And I don't know how, do we have any Navy, Navy people here who have been on boats? I don't know how they keep it like straight and how they learn the map. And every little staircase wasn't a staircase, it's more like a ladder. And it took me like 10 minutes to try to get down and be okay and not fall. And they're flying down those things. It's amazing 
so impressive. And right before we left, the chaplain took me um, to the bow of the boat, and he said, this is where the anchor comes out of the boat and out this large portal, this porthole here, into the ocean, in, and we drop anchor to keep us secure, to keep this huge thing immovable. And I couldn't see the anchor because it was there at the dock, but I could see the links of the chain, and each link was like wider than my arm span and heavy. And each link led back further and further away from the anchor to the place where that anchor is chained to the boat. And the chaplain told me that, that there are two technical terms for each end of that whole chain. One is the anchored end, but the other one is the bitter end. And I remember when I heard him say that, one is the anchored end, and what is the bitter end? I said, Lord, may I always be anchored in you. Because when my eyes are fixed on me, when they're fixed on my circumstances, and I am not anchored in you, and I am storm-tossed, I wind up bitter. I want to be anchored, not bitter. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. I repeat, all other ground is sinking sand. There is no exception. Compared to the power of Christ and the anchor that holds us, everything else is sinking sand. I want to share with you a story from a time when I was a hospital chaplain. And one day I was uh, on duty and my pager went off and I got paged to labor and delivery. That is always the page that we hated getting because it's never a good thing. And so when I arrived and the nurse was there and I said, you know, who, who did you want me to see? And she said, this girl, this young lady, is about 24 weeks pregnant with twins. And one of them has died in utero. And so we've got her on bed rest, trying to keep her as long as we can to see even if possible if that second baby could survive long enough. But the chances are really slim. And to make matters worse, she told me that the girl's stepfather had recently committed suicide. And that day was the funeral, and the entire family left her there alone. No one stayed with her, and she couldn't go because she couldn't get up. And so the nurse warned me. She said she's not really cheerful or talkative today. In fact, she doesn't know you're coming. She didn't ask for you, but I think she needs a chaplain. And so I walked into the room, and there was a very polite young lady with a very pregnant belly laying in the bed, and she was looking out the window, and she was, she was kind. I said, hi, may I come in? Okay. But it was very much one-word responses. And after trying to make communication and try to have a conversation with her for a while, it just wasn't working. And so I took a deep breath, and I took a chance on what I asked her next. And I said, do you know what you're having, and have you named them? That was the first time in the conversation where her head turned from looking out the window and she made eye contact with me and she rubbed her very pregnant belly and she nodded and she said, faith is dead, but hope is still alive. Wow. Faith is dead, but hope is still alive. Some of you may be here and you have been in a dark season that have, has made you feel like your faith is dead. 
But I believe God today wants to fan the flames of your hope, to reignite your heart for him, and to reimagine his heart for you. God does not consider you unblessable, and that's why you're in a dark season where it's all falling apart. God has not considered you excluded from his glory. God is very much present with us in the midst of our hardest season. Because if anybody knows what it's like to have a year that it all fell apart, I think Jesus understands what it was like that last year of his life. And he's promised us that because he understands and sympathizes with us, we don't suffer without purpose anymore. We don't suffer alone anymore. When we are anchored to Jesus, who's called the God of hope. You ever notice that in the scripture? It calls him the God of hope. Okay, this isn't in my notes, but every Thanksgiving I seem to come back from my family and my time with them somehow like crying about something that disappointed me or angered me or something I'm worried about. And last Thanksgiving I was driving back here and I was thinking about this concept of hope. This is long before I knew I'd be preaching on it this year. And I pulled into this one little town, like a one-stop sign kind of town, and as I stopped in traffic, I looked and there was a sign for like a, a tow truck company. And the tow truck company's name was Hope Towing. Hope's, Hope's Towing. And I thought, if anything was a better picture of what God does for us in our dark times, when we are broken down emotionally, when we're broken down with our anxiety or weighed down by the things of the world, we're stuck on the side of the road. We can't fix it ourselves. We can't go anywhere. And some of you feel like that. You feel like life is stuck, like it's frozen up like a cheap computer, and you're just waiting for that computer to kick in. And here comes the God of hope. and says, I'm going to hitch you to me, and I will pull you from this, and I will lead you to a place where even though your faith may feel dead, your hope is going to come alive again. And as your hope comes alive, your faith will as well. If we can take a moment with our heads bowed. You may be here today and you feel like your faith is dead, but there may be just a little glimmer of hope alive. You may feel like you've been disconnected from Jesus. And you've been fighting your battle with depression or anxiety or life circumstances. And you feel like this is the season in your life when it has all fallen apart. Or it might be you standing in proxy for someone that you love whose life is falling apart. The God of hope is seated on his throne today. And he's asking you and I to look up. To see him high and lifted up and seated on the throne in control of the world and in control of our world, your world. He's offering himself, the God of hope, to be the refuge that you run to and the anchor that holds you. If you have just found your way into church today, maybe for the first time, or maybe you've come back to church and you're not quite sure why you showed up tonight, it may be that the God who's seated on the throne is asking you to look up, 
that your hope would be alive and that your faith would come alive. If you have never given your heart and your life over to the Lord, if you have been trying to white-knuckle it through the depression and the anxiety or the circumstances that you find yourself in, he's asking you today to release your grip on your circumstances. To release your focus on your circumstances and to look at him. He wants to just not be the refuge for you in the situations that you find yourself in or your emotional health. He wants to be the savior of your life. He wants to spend eternity with you forever where we can be with him seated at the right hand of God the Father on that throne. If you've never asked Jesus to come into your life and to take over You may have tried to clean things up or fix things up and you've realized it's futile. If you need a refuge, if you need an anchor, today we say that that refuge and that anchor has a name and that name is Jesus. So can we all pray together a prayer of dedication of our lives to him? Dear Jesus, I recognize that my life has fallen apart. And I have tried to fix it. But it is futile to do it on my own. But you're seated on a throne with all power and authority. And you have told me that I am welcome. That you have died for me. And so, Jesus, now I turn my life over to you. I ask that you would fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit, that I might live my life for you, that I can walk with you, that I can hear your voice. I want to see you seated on the throne, Lord, high and exalted. So come, I offer myself to you, in Jesus' name, amen.